welcome to the Hunt Pack Hunter podcast. Today is we continue our Elk Week series. This is the third part of the five-part series with Elk Week, and today we're talking about how to deal with hunting pressure and still fill your elk tag. So when it comes to hunting pressure in the field while you're hunting elk, there's certain questions that come to mind that we get a lot. We get questions on, do you adapt your calling strategy? At what point do you consider leaving an area when you've determined that there's too much hunting pressure? Are there ways you can use hunting pressure to your advantage? And other related topics. And that's what we discussed today with myself, Steve Speck, and Cody and Trent from Born and Raised Outdoors. Guys, I hope you've been enjoying the series. Don't forget that in addition to this podcast, there's more coming with a video series on the Born and Raised YouTube channel and also some giveaways launching with that video. We'll be giving away an Exo Mountain Gear pack system, the new Born and Raised game bags, some calls, and much more. So if you don't want to miss that, be sure you go to the links in the show description and either subscribe to the Born and Raised YouTube channel or subscribe to become an Exo Insider, and we can let you know when that launches. All right, guys, that's enough rambling. Let's get in and talk about how to deal with hunting pressure. All right, guys, so this next uh, category we want to talk about is essentially dealing with hunting pressure and still filling your tag. So that obviously manifests itself in different ways as you're in the elk woods and dealing with other hunters, you know, in the area, maybe elk that have been called to different scenarios like that. Um, One of the specific listener questions just to kick this off that came in was any advice that you guys have for distinguishing between hearing bugles and knowing if it's a real elk or if it may be other hunters if you're hunting in an area where you know other hunters are present, right? So, um, any tips for that? Like, how do you hear a bugle and go, ah, that's maybe a hunter versus, no, that's an elk? I would say number one on that is like, where did that bugle come from? You know, I mean, if you're, if you're hunting country that's either in, on a lot of trails or roads, like, number one is going to be like, did it sound, I mean, based on sound, but where exactly did that bugle come from? And it's like, okay, I know that there's a bench down there, there's no trails, like high, you know, if I just heard a little bit of that bugle and I couldn't just distinct on tone where it was at, okay, good chance that that's a bull. You know, I mean, that, Mm. you know, that, that would be number one. If it's like, all right, there's a road up there or there's a trail right there in the bottom, there's okay the doubts already planted like whether that's mm-hmm. going to be a, a you know especially if you you didn't get a long and it's just like you're hiking along and you're like oh was that a bugle like okay where did that come from and, and that's a tough thing too is just dictating or, or narrowing down where it is i think that's probably the hardest thing with with here now where did it come from but i would say number one that's going to be the the factor of deciding whether that's a human or whether that's an elk mm-hmm. where did it come from yeah what do you hear, Trent, that makes you think? Like, so if we take location out of the equation, yeah. just based on sound alone. Based on just sound alone, it'll be the guttural sound. So uh, the normal bugle is going to be do 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 doodaloo, you know. But an elk, it'll that was be good, a, by the way. I appreciate <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, I'm hoping there's no elk around. Uh, but it'll it'll be that guttural that you know that that kind of a growlish kind of a. And what I would recommend is just go online and type in elk bugles and just listen to a bunch of different bugles and 
that's and obviously try to mimic those bugles as well when you're trying to practice or whatnot but it's that guttural sound like a lot of times and if there is a chuckle there is not a lot of guys that can really really dial a chuckle really really well there's a lot of you know bloop 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 or whatever a lot of people do and when you hear a real elk at closer range chuckle it almost like it almost beats on your on your on your on your soul if that makes any sense. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting it's deep you know? yeah oh man it's just like you know you can tell that that his diaphragm is just clang clang and so anyway and just dial in on those things but a lot of times it's that just kind of a guttural kind mm -hmm. of a uh, squealish growl at the same time that, uh, that yeah makes. And, and I would say the other side of it's length and cadence you know humans tend to bugle longer than what a bull naturally bugles like they're gonna the bugle part is gonna be longer they're gonna try to hit more tone ranges than what an elk necessarily does doing it and then the cadence of um, from bugle to chuckle or the chuckle itself like what that sounds like um, you know, and we, we nicknamed them Doug Fluties, you know, and it's it's that da 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 where bulls like I mean that those two distinct things, length and cadence is gonna be a big giveaway um, on the sound itself. Okay. So you guys like so much to it, it's awesome though. Like because I think you guys have such an ear for it, right? Like you've yeah. heard so many but we've also Bulls, been duped before too. Hunters, yeah. 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 I don't, it's not very often, but we have yeah. been. I don't have a great ear for it, but I probably my method is how is the, how is the animal moving and reacting to your sounds, yeah. right? Like a human's gonna do a very like very predictable split the distance in half and meow meow meow, or right. split the distance in half and bugle right at you, and, and like you know. Or every time like, you bugle, they're just gonna be yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. gonna be like, 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 oh, that's an elk. I'm yeah, gonna you know yeah, yeah good yeah. call. I, yeah. That's how I do it because I've been I have been. When I was like first year bowing, I was 18. My buddy and I were uh, hunting this meadow, and yet same story. Doug Fluey, like this bull just, and he was like, oh, like that's a hunter. We just turn, turn, walk around, and then you know I think we stopped 100 yards later, and there's a bull standing right where we were at. <laughs> this is a little raghorn, but you know I've been super happy to shoot him. Legal. Yeah. And we're just like ever since then, I'm just like, well, I. I'm just going to treat everyone as it's Drop a real 4,000 feet for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, then, and then use how they're moving. And then also, you know, it's like like you said, like location. Like, all right, I'm backpacked in here five miles. There's probably not another hunter here. Or, you know, just like what's the hunting pressure like and dictate how serious I take it. Yeah. yeah. You guys, you've talked before, like even for your own, if you're doing a locator, mm -hmm. how you'll throw one out and then you'll kind of like, build on that right mm -hmm. to get a response yeah and yeah. so if if you're hearing that like i hear a bugle not too much time goes by i hear another bugle does that tend to make you think it's a hunter do you ever hear bulls like yeah. kind of so if someone hears you bugle and they're and it's a hunter usually it was the same thing as steve was saying they're going to bugle back and they're going to be like we're, I mean, in nature, human, we want to hear something. We yeah, want to, impatient. that's why we're calling, right? Mm -hmm. That's why it, it, there's something in ourselves that are just like, yeah, I made a bugle. Don't worry about it. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and so they want to hear it again. No matter if they're closing distance, no matter, they just want to hear him bugle and know right. that they made him do that. So they'll sit down there for a long time, a lot of times, and just keep just tootie fluting it out just to, you know, try to hear something back. So it's, yeah, that's a dead giveaway. Yeah. Dead giveaway. Yeah. And movement, like Steve said, you know, a lot of times, that guy's maybe his experience of hunting is like I'm gonna sit right here and wait it out and he's gonna bugle 
five or every 15 minutes from the same exact spot. And chances a lot of times, and th this is where it gets kind of difficult, is most of the time a bull, you know, he's got his bugle, he's got that sound. And so when you start hearing different, you know, if a guy that's good on calling, you know, he's got a that high note locator or then he's got a lip ball and then he's got a lip ball chuckle or, you know, those types of scenarios. A lot of times you'll hear that bull and depending on where uh, where he's at and what his mood is, he'll sound the same. You know, it's not until you raise the intensity that that bull raises the intensity. Um, if you haven't raised that and all of a sudden the bugle that you're hearing is, is increased that, you're like, maybe that isn't an elk mm. and that's a dude, you know, and that, you know, and they try to go into their calling sequence. Yeah. And then the hard part is people stalking your bugle. You know, we've definitely had that case where we're set up, we're on a bull, a live bull. A guy hears that and he starts making the play on that live bull or us. And, you know, all of a and sudden. And we know it's a person. Yeah. And we've heard like a cow call and it's like, mm. try to go head that off, you know, early mm. on and either be like, dude, go for it. Or a, you know, we got a couple guys here and they're set up and, you know, try it. Or, or it's like, join in, like go yeah. set up over here and. You know, if that bull makes a loop, like get him killed, you know. Mm. So just, yeah, it's it's definitely one that, you know, and a word of caution, like if you hear a bull bugling and you know that's a bull and you hear a hunter and they've got the position on the wind, it's like stand down. You know, yeah. don't go in there and try to blow it up and make, you know, make that your bull. Like mm -hmm. if they're on it and that bull's screaming, they're in a good position and they got the wind right, don't try to interrupt that process. Mm -hmm. So, you know. So, good transition. Thanks, Cody. My yeah. next question was going to be, how do you, so in the theme of finding pressure, do you guys adapt your calling strategy when you know there are other hunters kind of in the vicinity, potentially? I think that's a lot, too, where you, like, dial your calls in, you know? Dial, get dialed and, and, and do the practice. You've practiced, you've put so much work into your, you know, your shooting, your time off work, your all this stuff and money and everything and dial your calling in. Get it, get it to where you feel really comfortable about making that good sounding bugle and everything. And that's going to help in the whole long run of things. I mean, honestly, a lot of fishing, hunting, anything that you do is confidence, right? If you have confidence in yourself, if you have confidence that you can make the right sounds and make the right plays that, that um, in the hunting scenario, it's going to help you so much more on a different level mm. and so if you go out in the woods and have confidence that okay yeah there may be there may be 40 rigs at the trailhead we've seen cattle trailers and you name it at trailheads and we're like it looks like the walmart parking lot and you're like okay guys we got to just have confidence we're going to be better hunters we're going to go and we're going to either go for further at times or just be more meticulous about you know not making mistakes on certain setups because we know we're only going to get so many, you know, hopefully encounters. So yeah, I, th I would say a lot of that is just confidence of, of, of being out there. And, and two, it goes into, if you see someone out in the woods, don't be pissed off. You should be jacked that someone else is out there experiencing what you're trying to do and trying to, you know, live the dream, if you will, you know, it so it could be your new best friend. Mm -hmm. right? And we've so, seen it so many times to where we're just like, dude, how's it going? And they're just like, no way. You guys are out here, too, and everything. And then we'll just put, pull them into the, the usually say, OK, we usually try to just say, hey, you can hunt with us for a day. Let's go hunt. 
And it's amazing the friendships you'll make. And we're all out there for the same thing. We're not, you know, don't be selfish. Be selfless and be like, we want to we wanna hunt elk, but we don't care who kills the elk. We just want to be a part of a hunt, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what it comes down to, like filming and stuff. We get just as much satisfaction if we're running that camera or if we're the caller that actually called the bull in for the guy that killed the elk as the guy that's actually pulling the trigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would you strategically adjust like do you locate less for example if you feel like the bulls either there are hunters present or you're dealing with elk that have been called to maybe you're somewhere later in the season right like towards the end of september yeah i i'd say we'll waste less time like so we'll get a response we know it's an elk clear down there we're not going to go through a gambit of okay let's see what kind of pushes his buttons what makes him we're going to close that distance yeah we're we're going to make a move we're going to make a move yeah, I, I would say probably at a fault, no, we don't adjust bugling less or calling less mm-hmm. um, for the most part. And and I don't know if it's at a fault or not. It's just like we still run pretty stick to to our game plan. And, you know, I've heard lots of people, oh, those elk are call shy or this and that. Yeah, I mean, I don't ever take that into account. Like even mm-hmm. if there's a bunch of people in the area, we're going to try to push the buttons and make it happen the way we want it to. Um, like I said, with hunting pressure goes, for us, it's not like calling strategy or anything changes. It's just like, okay, where are, if we know there's elk in here, they've been pushed around, where are they going to go? And then adjust, okay, pressure's here, there's relief over here in this drainage or anything else, this little pocket, let's go there. And, and use the pressing, the hunting pressure as an advantage versus a you know, oh, we need to pull stakes and move all the way. I mean, we mm-hmm. we shoot Land of the Free in 2.0, especially Colorado, over the counter. It's the highest hunting pressure you'll experience anywhere. Mm-hmm. It's gotten worse. You, and you can go, you can <laughs> still get them killed. Like, yeah. There's no doubt. Um, those bulls are going to make mistakes. And you're going to run into people. I mean, <laughs> I, I know in 2018 Colorado... Like when when Dirk and I went up over the top and on the backside in that big loop, I think we saw or met eleven people off trail in the wilderness. Like, pretty, you know, and we were in bulls in a day. Uh, in a three days. That was a three days. Three days. Three days. Yeah, yeah. But you almost killed an elk too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple different, numerous times. times. You know, so and that where we figured out where those elk were at is like okay there's a trail there's an access point over here there's an access point over here and then this drainage like is super gnarly to get in on the head or on the bottom end of it but once you got into the head of it and those elk were living on this tiny little bench out of the bot like it wasn't pristine elk country but it was like they were tucked up in the rocks in this little you know there's food water and shelter in a small area and no one was going into that. And it was, I mean, there was the Mecca of elk right there. And people were hiking by on the trail, but they were, it was was kind of that funny scenario of where, you know, trailhead, they're going in five, six, seven miles. And this was like mile and a half, two miles as a crow flies, but tucked in tiny little pocket. Everyone hiked by it. They were going up. Mm top and trying to get into the big country and this was this little nook and cranny right there off mm-hmm. the off of it so we we you know it was kind of one of those all right they've got to be 
you know, there's sign here, there's fresh sign here, but we've not heard or seen them. Let's check this little pocket and use that as our advantage of, you know, where do those people push those elk? And two, like season, season time too, you know, early season, the first week, like chances are they are going to be, you know, especially in that Colorado country, at tree line or above tree line, bulls may be in a bastard group still, like, but as the September goes on, okay, he's got cows, where's he going to take them away from? And it's not only people pressure, but other bull pressure, like they're going to have that little hidey hole breeding bedroom scenario and they're going to take their cows and push them into, you know, this tucked, I mean, it is, it really is, it's kind of like those tucked away side fingers out of a main bed, you know, main drainage, it's got a nice bench and they can live and do their thing up there. So. Do you feel like you've located elk in more of an isolated pocket like that? Do you, I don't want to say, are you more cautious or do you slow play that? But you already know that they're there. They're there for a reason, right? They feel secure. They're away from pressure. You know, there'd, there'd be this sense of like, you don't want to go just stomp in there and create pressure where they feel safe, right? Yeah. yeah, so how do you play that when they're in a pocket that you already know they're avoiding pressure? Um, wind, like, what's the wind doing? What, you know, okay, let's wait for it to, do, like, we're, it's 10 a.m., that wind's in the tricky, it's, the thermals are changing, uh, let's chill, let's cook some breakfast or hang out for an hour, let's let get that sun on it we know that we're going to have good steady thermals coming into it we can side hill into it you know the approach angle really look at that you know you don't it's really tough coming in on them from below like they've already got the eyesight advantage you know so you, we always try to get on their level you know it's for the most part you know the approach side of it is not coming in above or below it's like how do we get on the same level um and then let that work out. So win, win's number one. Like try to make sure you're in good, consistent, stack all the cards in your favor as possible before you go in on that approach. Yeah. And that's a, yeah, the win is, like if it's nine or 10 o'clock, wait, don't, let's get steady, steady thermals. Make sure you're just, we'll go through, I don't know how many puffer bottles a season. Just, I mean, we're checking wind constantly, constantly. Mm. And it goes back to that whole, you know, what we talked about a couple of days ago as far as just in the podcast, as far as it goes back to the whole, let's put as many things in our favor that we can control. And so we don't try to screw this scenario up. So wind is one thing that you can always, you know, you can kind of, unless it's Colorado and the winds are just going everywhere. <laughs> it's just like, just let's just go at them right now. Yeah. But no, it's uh, it's one of those things where try to check every single box of, okay, have I done all my homework and everything? What's going to get me in the best position to actually be successful? Yeah. You talk about pulling up and seeing a bunch of rigs at the trailhead and staying confident, but when are there scenarios, whether it's, you know, you arrive at a spot you wanted to hunt or you're already in the back country where you just pull the plug? Like, too much pressure is too much pressure. We've done that. We've and we've had places like it, it was in Colorado. We went and Cody mentioned earlier. I mean, it was awesome. There was we were chasing different bugles and two different groups, and I mean, just having like the day of your life. And then so we're just like next year we know where to go. We get all the way back in there and we're doing loops and circles and gizmos and we're not hearing squat. I mean, it's just like and it's almost like 
we've we've talked about in the past like we like to go to new locations every single year we do not like to go to the same old location that we went to last year one reason is because of that you get these preconceived notions that well we hiked into this bench the elk were just thick on this thing and then it's it goes back to your confidence level like we talked about as as far as you get back in there the next year you don't find elk you don't find nothing it's a ghost town and it just starts niching away at your confidence level and pretty soon you're not going to want to go to that next ridge because you're like well we didn't see him here we didn't see him here why would they be over there you know and when you go into a new area you have no preconceived notions you're just totally fresh totally new and you're just like i want to go check out that ridge and so it pushes you way harder and way further that you're going to actually hunt way harder in a new spot it i feel anyway in a new spot to where it's just like okay i want to see what's over the next ridge or in the next draw or if you know if no one's touched this this should be awesome guys and so we will actually hunt more um i would say efficiently in a new spot rather than the same old same old hey did you go to buffalo point or whatever and yeah we didn't see anything there oh man that sucks they were there a lot last year you know what i mean yeah and so it's, it goes into that highs and lows that roller coaster ride of elk hunting yeah yeah and that and i think the case in point though we pulled stakes drove halfway across colorado All wasn't night. like it was almost a move that was not the smartest move as far as like when we had okay we're here we were there on that trip i think like right at two weeks so we it wasn't a week-long trip where we had we, we but we burnt a whole we drove all night half of the next day got into a you know got into a spot and when we pulled up i specifically remember this like we're driving up the road and we're like dude there doesn't look like there'd been anyone in here and then we start seeing camps and these horse trailers and then we got to the trailhead and there was like 12 horse trailers and i don't know how many other rigs at this injection point you know and we're like huh we're full pot committed now like there's All i right. don't know of another place <laughs> to go. Right. like right. here here we go and it was one of those points of like and i remember specifically trying to like dude we're better hunters we can figure this like let's go in and do this there was definitely some doubts amongst the group of like how this goes into went in there and we killed two bulls in four days like and never really saw anybody but we started looking at that scenario that was the one injection point that went to a vast vast country i mean and there was it wasn't like one trail up a main drainage and everyone's kind of you know i mean there was there's a from spider there, web. spider web you know you could get on a horse and cruise 20 25 miles and be mm. totally different country there wasn't a lot of backpackers in there um you know and we just kind of rolled that dice and and effectively killed bulls and people that were riding past all that country like we were in four to six miles i think the deepest we might have got is like seven or eight but maybe you know it wasn't we were not in the horse country scenario and so it was a little little underwhelming at the point of when we hit the trail and we started in but overall it worked out pretty well do you recall in that scenario how you chose to enter that so you said it's like the single access point vast spider web big wilderness lots of options you question. just drove all night like you're unfamiliar with it so it's like you have this massive buffet where you start right do you remember how you strategically chose like oh let's piece this together do here make this loop what did that look like um and yeah in that case it was like the terrain dictated per se um we you know looking at what 
okay, there's definitely like a mountain range or a ridge is where we're going to, you know, focus, focus our efforts. Well, the next big drainage was like out of reach for us, honestly, to get to. So it was like, well, kind of the only thing in front of us is this one here. Let's go to that mountain. And then exactly that, we, we dissected it. Instead of staying in the bottom, we wanted to gain some elevation so we could hear. You know, we climbed up, hit, hit kind of bench level, followed the finger ridge up, got on a good, where we could call off both sides of that ridge, cover as much, you know, it's like one of those, efficiency is king in that side of life. Like every footsteps, energy expelled, you know, you wanna make sure it's efficient. So you need to get either eyes or ears on what you can see or hear. So, okay, let's get to the ridge. We could see country. Oh, if that looks good, like let's make the step over there and go for it. Oh, no, let's just hunt this ridge. And that's exactly what we did. We just bounced back and forth on top of that ridge top, got a bull to bugle down below us and, you know, and got him killed. And then that particular one was, um, okay, we've killed an elk. We're pretty good chunk in here. Are we going to commit to pack meat for the next day or two and lose lose hunting day and a half of hunting. yeah mm-hmm. or we used the, we had a sat phone with us trevor we got a hold of trevor he got a hold of an outfitter who was in that area come to find out we actually crossed paths with her on the trail on the way in um and and that one was uh can we get a meat haul yeah we could probably get a meat haul in a couple days okay let's go kill another let's one let's go hunt like mm. let's just hang up this bowl meat's gonna be good let's go kill another one versus if we would have we, we could not have packed that bull and effectively gone back in there and killed, you know. No, so. no. That's, a good, that's a question we get a lot is how far is too far to kill an elk? Anything over three quarters of a mile. <laughs> <laughs> Anything. You got with elevation change. With yeah. Ele- yeah, yeah, without right. elevation. I'm talking parking lots. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, everybody adds some distance. So if you're in a group of yeah. four or five that starts adding, okay, everyone's committed. Like, if we kill an elk, we're all committed to pack and we the farthest we've done is like right at that 10 mile mark oh, and it was yeah and that was at the end of killing a few other bulls and you know mm. it was in that scenario the snow rolled in and it was brutal um you know i would say if it's just you and another guy that five six mile range is yeah. it's a you, it's two yeah. trips yeah like if you kill a bull two tripping it with or one tripping it with camps just not yeah, it's no, not might be able to do it, but you're risking a lot. Yeah, injury, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. And you could start doing the leap. I, I kind of like the leapfrog mm-hmm. deal instead of like having this vast, long like hike all the way oh, yeah. out, hike all the way back in. It's like let's piecemeal this thing together. You get a little bit, you know. Uh, I don't know if you get more breaks, but mentally mm-hmm. feels easier than. Yeah hiking six miles all the way out six miles all the way back in um one thing you said though that i would recommend to people i mean we've talked about a little bit of you get you get seven days to hunt say you got three guys to kill three bulls in seven days and get them all packed out it's not going to happen yeah i mean depending on how far you're going obviously but chances are it's not going to happen so if if you do and we've done this a little bit more now if we're going to head deep into some spots have an outfitter actually established and you will, you will definitely, I mean, you'll hunt way more days. You'll get way more days out of the hunt rather than, okay, kill an elk, let's all start packing. Then you're exhausted. 
Because once you pack out, you don't just get it to the truck and go, okay, let's go back in. You've got to take it to the nearest town, find a meat locker, hang it in that meat locker, drive all the way back up to the trailhead, reload packs, go all the way back in or wherever you're hunting, whereas you're burning how many days and you could just stay in there and just keep hunting, drag your elk down to the nearest trip, you know, put it in some high quality meat bags that we got right over there <laughs> and uh, uh, bornandrangeoutdoors.com and you could hang it and then have a pack horse come in and that's what we did that time it was so awesome because we just got it down to the nearest trailhead we just turned around and went back hunting and then mm -hmm. went and shot another elk drug that one down to the, and it was just like the gal came in loaded up all the horses and all we had was our backpacks on and we just walked and followed the horses out and it was like so efficient right mm -hmm. Rather than you've got your seven days to hunt. Well, day three, Larry killed a bull. All right, my hunt's over. We're yeah. packing meat for the rest of the time. Don't have enough time to go all the way back in there because I only have a day and a half left. We won't be able to get an elk out of there in the time that I have to go back to work on Monday. You know what I mean? It's like. Yeah. And to, I mean, I guess to, to piggyback on this though, of just hunting time, during September, chances are you can hang a, like we've hung a bull for six days in yeah. there. Like, you could say, okay, say you do kill a bull on day four and that's like you're halfway through the trip. Like get that bull to the shade, get it in the creek draw, cool area where there's wind flow, you know, wind on there keeps, keeps that meat cooled. Go hunting for a couple more days and then commit the last day and a half, two days to pack. To pack. Yeah, we've you done know, that versus, too. Mm -hmm. Versus kill yourself and- uh, Be exhausted, yeah. go back yeah. in, yeah. yeah. So, Well, that's a wrap on the third segment of Elk Week. Once again, we have more coming. So if you haven't yet, hit that subscribe or follow button so that you receive future episodes automatically. And don't forget about the upcoming video launch and giveaway as well. That's going to be happening on August 16th of 2021. If you're listening to the show before then and you don't want to miss that, be sure to subscribe to the Born and Raised YouTube channel or become an EXO Insider so we can let you know when that launches. The links for that are in the show description below. We'll talk to you soon.